Well, we are going to be in 2 Samuel 7. Last week we were like in 1 Samuel, what, 15 or so? We're switching to the other side of... uh, other side of this, and, uh, and next week, uh, Pastor Ben's going to be wrapping up our time in, in Samuel and with King David. And then when we get into August, we'll be looking at uh, King Solomon and his journey with God. <clears throat> so today we're looking specifically at 2 Samuel 7, which is one of the key passages of the Old Testament, is God's covenant with David. And so... Um, actually, yeah, I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we'll get into this. You don't have to stand for this again. It's a long chapter. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, And I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. We'll stop there for a moment. Have you, have you ever dreamed about or, or had a goal in life that you eventually realized just wasn't going to happen? You had like this, this vision, this is, this is where I want to go, this is what I want to do, this is what I believe God's calling me to, but maybe it just wasn't going to happen. Um, when I was in grade oh, 11 or so, 
really had a very clear vision of where I wanted to go. In fact, I knew the school I wanted to go to. The Guitar Institute of Technology, Musicians Institute, Los Angeles, California. That was the place to be in the 19, late 1980s if you wanted a career in music. And so that was my goal, that was my vision. And I remember very clearly on a cut block, Dad and I went fishing one afternoon. It was an area they had just logged. It's, it's like etched in my memory, Dad asking me some very pointed questions about my planning around that sort of thing and how carefully I had looked into it. And I was like, well, not much. He's like, well, you, bet you should really kind of look into the details just a little closer. So I started chewing into that and it was like, oh, as a Canadian citizen, I got to pay double the tuition because it's in the States and I need a visa that says I'm not allowed to work and I have to have the entire financial plan of how I'm going to pay for everything while I'm there before they even give me that student visa. That's a big ask. That was too big for me at the time and I just shut that down. But God had other plans. And it's always interesting to see where God's other plans lead you. Even when what you think you've been called to, what you think you should be doing, goes in a totally different direction. You know, not, it, not all good ideas and not all ministry opportunities, even when everything seems to come together, like if I had all that stuff in line, and it all kind of worked out, and all the circumstances, I, you know, were all lined up, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is also God's purpose for us. And we're going to see that in David's story here. Not all good ideas, not all opportunities, even when you've got all the resources and all the circumstances line up together, doesn't mean that God's Blessing is on that necessarily. Sometimes God wants for us things that we don't expect. So David was like, oh man, I'm living in this great house and, and God's still living in a tent. What's up with that? <laughs> like, shouldn't God's house be mo more marvelous than mine? I, I need to build him a temple. Because that's what kings do when, when you've when you've defeated all the enemies in the ancient Near East, all kings did this. This was a mark that their God was the most important thing in their lives and, and that he was the one that, that caused them to rise to their kingship and defeat all their enemies. The, the, the way they kind of celebrated that was to build a temple to their God. That was just ancient Near Eastern practice. Every king did that. David hadn't done that yet. He's like, oh no, I missed a step. And he's got all the resources in the world. He's, he's not, in a, it says all, you know, God had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. So he's in a time of peace. He's in a time of prosperity. He, he's been given leadership over all of Israel. Now's the perfect time to move ahead with this project. And God says, no. God says, no. To a great idea. So how does David respond? And this is what I want us to focus on this morning. This is where I want us to just kind of meditate and rest on this. Pick it up in verse 18. Then David went and sat before the Lord. 
Just stop right there. Like, like this is what David does. He's like, God just gave me a big no. I'm just going to rest in God's presence. I wanted to do something so marvelous for God, but he said no. So I'm just going to go straight to him. And just sit in his presence. This is an amazing thing right here. This is beautiful right here. See, Nathan, Nathan had to come and tell him. So, so David's receiving a revealed word of God mediated by the prophet. He's not hearing from God himself. It's very interesting. David's, you know, uh, once we get to the kingship, uh, we don't have a lot of direct communication. It's all mediated communication, mediated word of God. God comes to Nathan and says, here's what you need to tell my servant. And then David goes and sits in the presence of the Lord. And I love how this reads in Hebrew. He went and he settled toward the face. To the face. That, that's what it means to be in the presence of in, in, in Hebrew. The, the literal word is to the face. Like, it, it wouldn't come across great in English simply because we, we kind of take this as an abrasive thing, right? I'm in your face. Right? Like, like that's like, oh yeah, back off. But but this is what this is what the this is exactly how Hebrew puts it. When, when somebody comes to the presence of God, they get in his face. So David went to the face of Yahweh. And he just sat there. Now, I wonder how long he sat. Who am I, O Lord God? First words. Very interesting. The first time this phrase is used in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 15. When God comes to Abram and promises him a family, and and, and his family will endure and they will come, and, and he promises him a land. And the first words out of Abram's mouth in that in that chapter, and he says it twice as who am I, O Lord God, and, the, and the, uh, Adonai Elohim. It, it's, this is the only time this title is used of God in all of Samuel, is in David's prayer in this chapter, and it happens seven times. It's the only time in Samuel that this happens. Lord God, Adonai Elohim, who am I? What is my house that you brought me thus far? And, it, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O oh Lord God, Adonai Elohim. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction. This is Torah. This is your revealed word for mankind, the globalness of this the completeness of this revelation, O oh Lord God. 
And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant. You know your servant. Ten times in this passage, David identifies himself by your servant. I'm just your servant. I'm going to sit here in your presence, Lord. And even though you've told me no, I'm going to worship in the midst of this. Because of your promise and according to your heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, and there is none like you. There is no God beside you, according to all that we've heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, to do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Some pretty amazing things in this prayer. And I want us to focus on just a few things out of it. The first one is simply this, that the measure of God's blessing is God's own heart for his people. God's blessing is not measured according to our ability to receive his blessing, but according to his ability to give. Verse 21 and 22 is where we're going to park. Because of your promise and according to your own heart. According to your own heart, You've done these things. You have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. To know what? The greatness or his heart? Or both? This all fills David with worship. God's no to David's plan inverts the direction of honor. David sought to honor God with a house but God commits himself to bring David a far greater honor in preserving and building David's house forever. It's going to be an eternal house, an eternal kingdom. Just, just as Abram was promised a place and a people, David has promised a kingdom, and this 
all culminates when we get to Jesus Christ. Because if we look at this, and we say, well, how long did, like Solomon did build a temple, but how long did it last? You know, you read the end of this story of Solomon, and it falls apart, and then the kingdom splits. And then there's just back and forth, warring, 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 until Babylon comes and wipes it all out and takes them all away and levels the temple. And to people in exile, to whom I believe this is probably written, what would this be speaking to? Like there's, there's the event, there's this prayer of David, but then there is also the text that's written much later, and then there's the fulfillment that comes through Christ. Three different contexts we need to consider. A kingdom that's going to be eternal, but the kingdom's gone. The, the, the kings are dead. Where's our hope? Our hope is in God's word, not in the king. Because of your promise, according to your heart, it's all about the greatness of God's heart for his people. And sometimes God says, you know, you want a great thing, but I have something better for you. Paul in Acts 16 wanted a great thing. He wanted to take the gospel to Asia. He wanted to take the gospel to Bithynia. And God said, no. I have a different direction for you. Later on in his life, as he was uh, collecting all of the, 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 the gifts and the offerings from various churches, he was heading back to Jerusalem to support them. And then he, he had a vision in his head, a good thing that he wanted to do. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to encourage the people in Rome. And then from there, he wanted to take the gospel to Spain. What, what a great vision Paul had to just take the gospel everywhere. And yet when he got to Jerusalem, what happened? End of the line. You're not getting to Spain. You'll get to Rome, but in chains. What Paul wanted to do was good. God's purposes might be different. And it's interesting because he wants, he wants uh, if, if we look at this in, in Romans chapter 15, it's, it's here Paul's heart. He just wants to share the gospel so much. When therefore I've completed all this, all this stuff, and I've delivered to Jerusalem all that I've collected, I will leave Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I know that when I come to you, it's going to be out of the fullness of what God is doing and how he's blessing me. But he comes in chains. And he won't get further than Rome. Sometimes God's direction is so different than our expectation. And yet, I don't think Paul would say that he came to Rome just in chains. I think he would still say, I came in the blessing of Christ. Because chains didn't matter to Paul. The circumstances didn't matter. Because he knew the blessing came from the heart of God. 
The measure of God's blessing is his own heart. God's blessing is not measured by our ability to receive, but his ability to give. The second thing I see here is that the means of God's blessing come from his own heart. How he blesses us is an overflow of his heart. God's blessing is not brought about because of our goodness, but out of the depth of his heart for us. So many times he says in this passage, your servant, your servant, your servant, 10 times. God's no to David is answered with his promise to preserve David's family and to work through them for an eternal kingdom. But there would be questions along the way. How long is it going to take? What kind of valleys are we going to have to go through? And look at what they had to go through as we go through the rest of this history. Until an angel comes to Joseph and says, take courage, son of David. Because your son will be the king forever. And it will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. No wonder David sat in worship. As Nathan communicated God's word for him. And just think, just think of this, David's, David's hearing this from Nathan, and Nathan's saying, a son is going to come from you, and he will build the temple, and his kingdom will never end, and it will be an eternal kingdom, and an eternal temple. Solomon comes, he builds a temple, and David makes all the preparations for it, gives him all the goods, like, like the money's there, the, the, everything's there. Solomon builds a temple, and in 400 years it's gone, maybe less. don't know the timing exactly. But then Jesus comes, and he starts building a temple. Tear down this temple, he says, and I will rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about his own body, and as Paul and other New Testament writers develop this in the New Testament, the temple is the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is the people of God, the church. This is your instruction for mankind, said David. This is the hope for the world. Not that there's a temple built on a rock out of wood and stone and gold on a hill, but that God is building a people that will go everywhere with his message from his heart. That's the New Testament temple. That's the temple that endures, and that's the kingdom without end. The means of God's blessing is his own heart, and that is the message of God's blessing. When we are blessed by God, it's all about who he is and what he's done and what his heart accomplishes for his people. The gospel does not start with me and my sin and my need, but it starts with the heart of God who loved us and who called us according to his purpose. And right away, right away, David goes into this and he says, who is like your people? the one nation. He, he zooms out from who he is 
And he says, who's like your people? Who, who, is, who, is, who, who are we even that you redeem us? If you underline all the actions of God in verse 23 and 24, God went to redeem his people. God made himself a name. God was doing for them great things. God was driving out the people before them. God redeemed us for himself. God establishes for himself his people to be a people forever. Again, it's back to the relational heart of God. God acts. It is God's own heart. You know, I wonder how long it took David to just sit and ponder all of this before he started praying this prayer. It's, it's, it reads like a psalm. Here's the question at the beginning. Here's the, the remembrance of, of the past and all that God has done in the past. And now, hear, Lord, do for your servant all that you have said because I know your word is true. You know, David could have ignored the message of Nathan. You know, he had all the stuff. He had all the, all the circumstances were lined up. And he could have said, Nathan, great, thanks for that, but I'm going to build it anyway. Because, uh, because that's what a king's supposed to do, and I'm, I'm, I want to be a good king. And, and God's blessed me, and I have all this, I have all this money, and I have, I have safety, and I have all of these provisions, and the circumstances are are just right right now. I can build this temple. Thanks, Nathan, but I'm just going to do it my way. And what would have happened? Same thing as with Saul, who said, I'm going to push myself forward and offer this sacrifice. I'm not going to trust in the timing of Samuel. I'm not going to trust in the timing of God. I'm going to do it on my timing because I feel I need to do this now. And the probably the same result would have happened. God would have said, fine, I'll get somebody who's after my own heart next. Because God's looking for a heart that follows him. Not just does whatever we want to do. On our time and in our power. David recognize that everything he has and everything that he will ever be comes from the heart of God for him. And he just stops and rests in that. And we need to as well. And I want you to hear, again, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And I'm going to read a chunk of it as we prepare for communion. And I just want you to hear this as Paul speaks to the people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. Just hear the heart of God and what he has discerned and decided from his own heart for his people because it relates directly to what we're celebrating this morning. And just sit with this in the presence of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, 
He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, and because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh and hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, it is an amazing thing that David is promised an eternal kingdom and that one of his sons would build a temple to his name and to his glory. And in the immediate history, we think it's Solomon and that's it. And yet when we really look at it, we know that it's Jesus and the temple that he built and that he is still building. I will build my church, said Jesus. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means the defensive nature of hell will not prevail against the offensive nature of the church. And so, Lord, you have given us a mission to rest on what you have done and who you have called us to be. We are to sit in your presence, get in your face, and fall down in humble worship as your servants and ask the same question, who am I? That the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to know my worth. Who am I that the Holy One of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth, would take on flesh, would dwell amongst us, would walk this earth, would die a cruel, cruel death on the cross. And on that foundation, begin to build such a wonderful, holy dwelling place that isn't limited to any geographic location, but is spreading throughout this world. Your presence, Lord. May we learn that even in the divine no 
to our dream or to a goal that we have in our lives, that your divine no is an open door to your divine best. And that while we see the things of life limited to our timeline and our ability, Lord, help us to see the greater picture that you are weaving. That David gets that in this passage. Lord, help us to search your words so that we see the bigger picture, that we are part of the bigger story that you are weaving through history that we get to be part of. Are we being built into this holy dwelling place as living stones, says Peter, built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And as living stones, we're called to cry out in worship to stand in awe and wonder, and at times even to just sit with our faces toward your face and just be in your presence. And so, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we know that it is from your heart that you invite us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. And so, Lord, we come this morning to this table because it is an expression of your heart. According to your heart, you have caused us to see all of this greatness and to know it. In Jesus' name, amen.